This is the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Grace. This week, we have the absolute pleasure of reconnecting with one of our old design team members, Zane Kaiser. Zane currently works as a post-market development non-conformance engineer at Cook Medical. And previously, he graduated with us from the UNC Biomedical Department in 2019. We are super pumped to chat with him again. Welcome, Zane Kaiser. Zane, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to see you again since our senior year. Yeah, it's been a little while. What, like two and a half years now? That makes me sound so old. We're going to cut that out, right, Allie? It's been just a couple months. (laughs) (laughs) How has life been as a post-market development non-conformance engineer at Cook Medical? You know, it's been it's been pretty good. I've I've actually really enjoyed the role a lot. Um, and I was expecting to, so everything's on track. All right. So a little background, what's, what does Cook Medical do? I know they're a huge company. I know they have lots of segments. Um, maybe, yeah, your best, your best attempt at explaining what Cook Medical does. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely don't know everything. That they, do, <laughs> but, um, they are, as you said, a multinational uh, company. We sell in pretty much every single market around the world. Um, and we have a variety of different segments. So for instance, my division uh, in the Cook Winston-Salem site does everything related to endoscopy. So a lot of uh, extraction balloons, dilation balloons, polypectomy tools, uh, ligation bands, anything related to the gastrointestinal tract, we manufacture pretty much devices related to that. Mm-hmm. And one of our forefront kind of like our specialty devices that's the only device approved in the United States for this purpose is called Hemospray. And it is a hemostasis device specifically designed to, uh, to prevent blood loss in the gastrointestinal system. So that's just kind of one, one cool little device that we have. That's pretty specific and unique to cook. You said it's the only one approved in the U.S.? Yeah, it's the only one in the U.S. There's a couple more coming out in uh, Europe, but as far as market competition right now, we're the only ones in the United States, which is cool because we dominate that market and we have a lot of sales for it. Um, one of the more the more entrepreneurial and less business associated, meaning like we don't get as much money out of this device, is called the Flourish device. And what it's designed to do is help babies who have a particular birth defect in which their esophagus and their, uh, the lower portion of their esophagus, so the entranceway to their stomach is disconnected. So they're unable to actually eat. And all our device really is, is just a couple of really powerful earth magnets that you put on one end and then you put on the other. And eventually it pulls those two ends of of the esophagus together and it fuses them and allows the babies to eat. Wow. That's like such simple technology with such a incredible impact, like magnets using magnets (laughs) as a medical device. That's awesome. I mean, I guess that's an MRIs too, but that just seems like, I don't know, you know, that, that acronym kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Like that's the epitome (laughs) of that. That is absolutely epitome of Or maybe it. it's just being explained that way right now. I'm sure it's more complicated <laughs> yeah. than that. <laughs> so what other kinds of verticals are we talking about? Um, GI, is that your site specifically, you said? And then 
what other types of devices does Cook do? Yeah, so my site handles uh, endoscopy, so GI-related mm-hmm. stuff. There are some other segments, for instance, in Indiana, which is actually the headquarters site. Uh, they do a, a, a whole variety of different things, but from what I remember of our brief tour, they do things related to cardiac stints, um, some some kidney-related um, and urinary-related catheter devices, and um, a bunch of other stents and devices in the arterial realm. Um, And then we also have some divisions, for instance, in Australia, they make some reproductive related devices, um, such as, is it in vitro? Oh, in vitro fertilization catheters. Mm -hmm. So the the catheters that they use to implant fertilized fetuses um, is one of the devices they make there. And then I don't know all the other segments that we have, honestly, but they we we make medical has so many. So how could you? Yeah. 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 But just that gives a good flavor of the breadth of what they, the types of medical devices they offer. So very cool. And so as a post-market development, comma, non-conformance engineer, what department are you a part of technically? So there are two portions of my role, but the overarching department that I am in is the post-market, uh, post-market department. (laughs) Okay. We are basically, this department is involved in keeping all devices that have been already released to the market um, in compliance with medical device standards um, and any additional regulations that have come into play. And so obviously there's the the pre-market and then there's post-market side. Pre-market is involved in the initial development of devices. Mm -hmm. Post-market as I was kind of explaining earlier, is related into everything that happens once the device is being sold. Um, And so obviously there's a lot of upkeep that needs to happen um, after devices on the market. Right. So keeping it compliant and certified with all the necessary things, also like product roadmap types of modifications that might come about from it being in use. Yeah, that is definitely... um, those, those, that's a definitely a, a very large proportion of what we do. Um, I would add that, you know, there's a lot of adjustments that need to be made depending on the, the suppliers that are coming in and out of the market mm-hmm. and what's the newest, um, the newest uh, industry, industry best practices, maybe. Yeah. The newest industry best pa- practices, um, for a particular type of device, mm-hmm. um, And so a lot of the times devices need to be updated to either change the materials or um, rectify a certain type of complaint that we're seeing out in the field um, just to make things better in essence. I'm sure you pivot to supply chain a little bit too, right? Like maybe if components kind of become hard or too expensive to access, you kind of iterate a little bit to create an equal solution, maybe by replacing a couple of components. Exactly. So my mentor actually just had a big project where we had to replace all of the latex balloons on our extraction balloons because that supplier was no longer going to be Mm -hmm. uh, in business in essence. And so we had to pivot to a new supplier and do all that requalification to make sure that we were compliant with federal standards and that also the particular or the new supplier that we were going to be using was compliant with our internal cook standards. Right. So 
what I'm hearing is it's a, it sounds like a really good blend between like understanding the market and industry standards and best practices and everything with also the technical, um, the technical standards and the technical specifications of a certain device. Um, I kind of want to, I wonder what the breakdown between kind of the more commercial side of this versus the technical, like, are you in charge of implementing these technical changes or do you kind of more, you know, see this in the market and then delegate out to different teams? Like, well, this supplier is going out of business, so you need to come up with this solution. Uh, Where do you fall in that kind of breakdown? So generally, I would say that my particular position is more on the entry level side of things. So rather than being the one who's um, investigating the market and identifying all of these different changes that need to be made, it's coming from my manager who assigns these projects uh, just based on uh, what is being prioritized in the company. And uh, one thing that I forgot to mention was that there's another big part of my job, which is the nonconformance side. And uh, we can get into that a little bit later, but to finish answering your question, um, I'm very much so involved in the design controls aspect of keeping these devices on the market. So once I get this project where my manager says, hey, we need to update this material in this particular device, I see the entire project through where we're reassessing all of the risk management uh, controls and documents Mm -hmm. and actually all the way through the implementation of that new material in the device. Oh, that's Uh cool. You get to kind of manage those projects. Yes, exactly. So it it is definitely a, a, like a project management type role in that, you know, you're involved in making sure that you have all your timelines on track, making sure that every single one of the testings and all the documents that you need are going to get the right approvals and then being ultimately submitted in the right places. Um, And you actually do have uh, a little bit of some freedom in deciding how you want to test to certain standards and stuff like that. But the entire process at the same time is very proceduralized. There are certain documents that you need to fill out and certain checkpoints that you need to meet in order for the project to be considered complete. What kind of, so you say that it's like kind of like a project management. So I'm assuming that you, you get to see it through and everything. What are some of the departments that you work with to get these projects implemented that you are, I mean, it sounds like you kind of do jack of all trades. You know, you have to speak this lingo and that lingo and and understand this. How, what are the departments that you interact with? Pretty much all of them, honestly. So okay, like, all of them. Yeah, it's like it's like a jack of all trades type role. Um, I would say the only one that we're not as involved with is actually the uh, pre-market R and D side. Otherwise, we are in pretty much every. Uh, we have to communicate with almost every department in manufacturing, um, and we have to communicate with those managers and the operators. Operators are the assembly line workers um, to ensure that the changes we're, we're making align with their needs, as well as that they won't create any undue complications and they won't uh, create any extra bur- burdens on manufacturing. Are you working with marketing, sales, any commercial teams? Yeah, we work with them um, in a, a limited sense, in yeah. the, particularly in the beginning of the project. Um, mm-hmm. So in the beginning of the project, we do or we fill out a form, which, which is called a 
design development plan. And in this particular procedure, in this particular form, we are interested in evaluating the impact on our company from a manufacturing standpoint, a regulatory standpoint, um, a marketing standpoint, and I believe that's about it. Um, so yeah, we have to communicate with our product managers in, like, to see what is the global sales, the global impact of this particular product. We have to coordinate with regulatory to ensure that any changes that we make, um, whether or not they need to actually result in, uh, in, in a regulatory update to any of the regulatory bodies um, and in any of the foreign nations or in the US. And then we coordinate with manufacturing to, un to understand our different timelines and see how long we will need to actually implement. Gotcha. So I have one last question for you on the post-market development engineering side, because I do want to get to the non-conformance side. Um, just last thing on the post-market development side, what are you doing tactically day to day? Are you in SolidWorks? Are you filling out risk assessments? Like what are you doing more tactically? Mm -hmm. So I'm in a lot of, depending on the specific project, I do a lot of different yeah. things. Which yeah, is so really just throw helpful. out some, some things college you would know about. For sure. Maybe. So um, I would say that there's been a handful of times where I have used CAD for the development of new tools. Mm -hmm. um, that is the primary aspect where we use CAD. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, not the CAD isn't used quite as much in my job role in particular. Um, we do fill out a lot of paperwork related to um, design controls and like risk benefit analysis and stuff like that. In general, I would say that the majority of the work related to my post-market role uh, is involved in the coordination of different changes that are being made, being approved, filling out, pretty much filling out the right forms, filling out different reports, which does involve some engineering related analysis, but it's not near as technically minded as for instance, you know, our systems and signals class or um, any of those other like heavy math related classes. It's more of a proceduralized process where you have to hit the right check boxes, fill out the right forms and get the right approvals with um, certain groups within the company. And that involves a lot of soft skills. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, you know, everyone, most people I would say need communication once you get into the real world job world. Um, but it's, it's very important. And that was something that I needed to learn that it was okay to reach out a lot more then, or it, it was okay to kind of bug approvers when you need <laughs> something done. Follow um, up. Oh yeah. Just following yeah. up. Follow up. Yeah. Follow up <laughs> is a big thing. Yes, exactly. It was good. It's, it's okay to follow up and it's not as much of a bother. And that's something that I had to get used to because I'm, I was very used to just doing everything on my own in college. And when it came to working within a company where I can't do everything on my own, I have to rely on a lot of other people. I had to get used to very quickly asking for help from, you know, my managers or from my mentor. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So let's, let's flip to the nonconformance side. What is that about? For sure. And I would say that the nonconformance part of my job is actually the more enjoyable part of my job. And for me personally, because I would describe it in the most basic of terms 
as I'm just an investigator. I put on my little investigator hat and I go out into production and kind of figure out what's wrong. Um, but in a more complex sense or the more job role um, description sense, uh, this portion of my job involves identifying, containing, and resolving nonconformances that are identified in production. Um, so in essence, identifying defects or uh, inefficiencies in processes, and then coming up with solutions for them. And the reason why this is the more fun portion of the job for me is, like I said, I'm being an investigator. I use a lot of uh, critical problem solving, um, root cause analysis to ultimately identify what is the true issue um, out that is creating this defect um, and how and what sort of steps need to be taken in order to resolve it. I think this is interesting because um, your post-market development sounds a little bit more like uh, design-oriented. Even though you're editing a design, it's design-oriented, where the non-conformance is more manufacturing-oriented. It sounds like you go out and you scope where on the manufacturing floor things might not be going right for that product, and then either design it out of the product or fix the problem on the manufacturing floor, or am I misunderstanding? So to a certain extent, it is like that. Um, yeah. But to give you an idea of how projects and how investigations are actually initiated in this mm -hmm. portion of my role, I'll just go through kind of the basic process. Of, Amaze. Yeah, of, of what, <laughs> you know, how, how we ultimately identify these things. So for instance, let's say we're talking about an extraction balloon, which is basically just a catheter with a latex balloon on the end of it. And there's a lot of different steps in production where things can go wrong. But say for instance, the operator is trying to place the balloon onto the catheter and then they notice that now there's a hole in the balloon um, as they're kind of sliding it onto the catheter. Now, obviously that's not, not good because that product is never going to work if it has a hole in the balloon. And so what they will do is they will Bring that, uh, bring that defect to the attention of their supervisor, who will then send um, a notification to our team um, to come out and ultimately investigate the cause of that nonconformance, the cause of that hole in that latex balloon. And the way that our team ultimately becomes involved is one, coming out and actually looking at the device, two, figuring out whether any other devices that are currently being manufactured might be impacted by this particular defect. And then three, trying to resolve the source of that, or trying to identify the source of that, that defect itself. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So what is the kind of the breakdown between those two sides of your roles? Is it an even 50-50 split? Does it depend on what projects are in full swing? What does that breakdown look like? Um, I have a piggyback question. Um, are, mo are there other people split between both like you? Or are you in a unique spot? Okay, that's, that's the end of the question. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, so there definitely are other people on my team, which not my team, the team that I'm on, um, there are a total of five of five people. And on, and that is on the non-conformance team. On the post-market engineering team, there's a total of 20 people. So we're kind of a subject section of the post-market engineering team that is ultimate, that is partially dedicated to um, resolving non-conformances. Mm -hmm. And I would say in terms of the time dedicated to each, 
it, it I mean, sometimes it just depends, but okay. it's probably about 50, 50, maybe mm -hmm. 60, 40 in terms of I'm spending more time in the non-conformance related stuff, but it depends on whether we've actually had any projects come up related to the non-conformances. So sometimes the defects, for instance, like the one I'm describing, it's just a part of the manufacturing process. Sometimes these things just happen and there's nothing really that can be done. But a lot of the times when we see these defects that we're worried about, it actually creates a project that now I become the leader of. Mm -hmm. And so I, the cool thing in my opinion is that not only do I get to uh, actually handle the containment and the investigation related to this particular defect, but then I get to go through the whole process of resolving it by um, adjusting certain design aspects of the device or potentially uh, adjusting the manufacturing process to be more robust. Yeah, that's super rewarding. And also, you never want to be that person that's just finding problems and not solutions. So it's nice that you get to kind of like close the book on everything too. I'm sure it's a very rewarding spot to be in um, yeah, for yourself and for the company. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And they, I mean, they definitely like the fact that we're able to um, fix things. Even the yeah. uh, assembly line workers, the operators, as we call them, they really, I, I, I think they really like us a bit, you know, because we come yeah. out there. We yeah, make you're things giving easier them for them. Yeah, we make things easier for them. We're not really creating as many problems. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, personally, for your personal development, I mean, that just sounds like a ton of of learning potential and opportunity for like for growth because it's it's not just being able to identify problems; it's seeing the entire process through. And it's like, okay, sure, I, yeah, I can point out 15 things that are wrong all the time, but like what do you do with that? And how do you like work through that? Just seems like it's a ton of learning potential um, for someone interested in, in kind of device design in general. Yeah, there definitely is a lot of learning potential on that front. Um, I would say that as far as overarching presence, that is or overarching influence, that is uh, a little bit above my pay grade. Oh, sure. <laughs> that happens definitely more on the manager's front. But I would say that, like you said, it allows a lot of opportunity to get your hands into a lot of different areas. Um, and I haven't honestly been at Cook long enough to kind of see what the uh, promotion process would be like for someone on my team. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually one area of, of my company that I feel like could be a little bit more clear. And they've actually been doing things um, to address this problem because it's something that has been brought up a lot. And I can expand on that if you guys want, but we can talk about something else too. But like for students that would be interested in like device design or process improvement optimization, like that's a entry, like that's a start and you can see, you can see where that role would end up um, you know, to get, to get to that kind of a place. I mean, I think entry-level jobs that are purely device design are hard to come by for someone fresh out of undergrad. So this oh, is kind of like a, a way to get to it. Absolutely. It, those are, um, very hard to find. And I think that a lot of people who come out of undergrad, especially with a BME degree are really interested in being, um, on kind of the R and D side. Um, yeah. and I don't think that there's you know, not every single medical device engineer out there is designing devices for like in their inception. And there is a, a lot, a uh, much greater need ultimately for this maintenance aspect, the uh, keeping the devices in compliance. It's, it's a very, 
there's a there's a lot of need for engineers to do these type of roles honestly absolutely so so one last question for you and then i want to hear a little bit about what you have planned next um just for those listening what kind of we ask this question a lot i think it's helpful um what kind of bme grad would like your job so what would be their interests and what would be their um shining skills that they have for sure um I think I'll address this in a couple of different halves because, you know, I are two different halves because Great. I have those two different sort of roles to my job. If you're interested in becoming and in really involved in the post-market side of things, um, you definitely have to be someone who doesn't mind, you know, writing a lot of reports and filling out forms. That just, that comes with the job. Um, but like I was saying earlier, there's some rewarding aspects of that where you get to be a project manager and a lot of the project that you're going to be doing is proceduralized in a way where it's laid out for you and it's pretty easy to understand. You said report writing and documentation, mm -hmm. attention to detail. Um, what other kind of skills and interests would the post-market person have? You definitely want to be, uh, you want to have some good soft skills because you're going to be working with people every single day. Um, you have to coordinate with a lot of different uh, departments in terms of getting the actual approval and feedback on your project. And let's see, you have to be good at self-management and time management as well as what I would say, because it's easy to kind of just get behind on different, it's easy to get behind on your project deliverables if you're not on top of them, mm -hmm. because you can kind of get stretched thin and pulled in different directions. And no one's going to be there who's going to be guiding you and say, hey, this is due tomorrow. Like you need to fill it out or you need to be working on this every day for the next two weeks. You get to so, ultimately decide. Right. Time management and prioritization and it, it, a level of organization of, of reassessing those priorities every day, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then as far as the non-conformance side of things, uh, the big thing I would say here is that you want to be someone who's interested in critical problem solving and uh, root cause analysis. That's not to say that these skills aren't used in the other side of my role, in the post-market side, um, but they're definitely on display in this portion of my, of my job. Mm -hmm. um, because like I said, you have to investigate these different um, defects that are occurring out in production. And it's definitely not obvious where they're coming from, especially when everyone has their own story of what happened and, you know, nothing's clear cut. Um, ultimately, right. the type of person who would enjoy doing this, the type of BME grad that would enjoy doing this is someone who really enjoys puzzles and <laughs> likes the, looking at the entire system and paying attention to similarities amongst different processes to ultimately understand where something might've gone wrong. It's so funny you say that because what I was thinking was I hate puzzles and this sounds like one, but some people are thrilled by that, pulling together all these details to find the answer. Um, and yeah, so I, I can see the type of person that that might appeal to for sure. Exactly. And that I, I really love puzzles. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I love thinking through <laughs> that type of stuff and trying to resolve it. And in particular, uh, something that uh, I was able to sales pitch that I was able to sell in my interview when I was applying for this job was my TA in the electronics TA role that I 
uh, worked in at UNC. Um, in that role, even though it was teaching and diagnosing electronic circuits, a lot of there was a lot of similarities mm -hmm. in terms of the type of thought processes I was using. Um, mm -hmm. In my role as a TA, I had to be able to identify key breakpoints in the circuits that ultimately were influencing the outputs of the system. And that, that type of analysis very directly translates to what I do when I'm trying to figure out the cause of a specific defect. I have to figure right. out where in the process um, there are key checkpoints and what happens if a checkpoint is missed, for instance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, I think back to like fault finding with circuits and that is a fun thing because you know you're you know your fail fast points and you can find those and then like you said you go to your checkpoints along the way so yeah sounds like they're both really fun roles uh to be a part of so with that being said what's coming up next for you for me personally um i'm actually going to be moving out of this role so i am in the process of applying to medical school um mm -hmm. and that's at no fault to Cook Medical at all. I, I love them as a company. Um, I think they do a really good job of respecting their employees and in respecting their employees' time. Um, and huge. What, what yeah, a great thing to be able to say yeah. about a company. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely, That's awesome. it is huge. You know, I, uh, they have an expectation of having a good work-life balance. Okay, so you're, you're looking at med school. Mm -hmm. um, I know we've talked about this before. Would you, rec like, what are your recommendations to somebody can, like, I know you experienced that pull of like, do I want to be an engineer? Do I want to go to med school? And ultimately you tried out engineering. Would you recommend that to somebody else kind of in the same spot? What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I definitely would. Um, I will say that it was a very informative experience because when I was coming out of college, I started to really fall in love with engineering. Um, and I would have been kicking myself if 10 years from now, when I was in the throes of trying to become a doctor, if I started doubting myself and wondering what engineering was like. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's, it's a lot easier to go back to medical school than it is to just say, oh, I'm going to stop being a doctor after investing four or five years of my life at a minimum and yeah at a minimum <laughs> exactly so four years into actual medical school and then another three or four years into residency so after investing all that time it's very difficult to say okay now i'm going to go back to be an engineer um that's not to say though that you know one one thing that i've actually learned from this experience is that um Doctors are, are very well valued within the medical device community and within those businesses. Um, and so if you are actually interested in medical device development, but you're also interested in becoming a, a physician, you can, uh, you can actually be, get into roles where you can have some influence within uh, a medical device company because they want those type of consultants who can tell you about a specific procedure and how they occur and what's the current um, the current practice within right. uh, the medical community. As somebody who did got a great experience, it sounds like with medical device design and manufacturing, what are you going to take away from that going into being a physician? Yeah, so um, like, I, like I was saying earlier, I really love solving puzzles. And one thing that 
I think is pretty prominent within the uh, a, a career as a physician is the need to basically solve puzzles. You're given a certain uh, a set of different parameters based on you know s- symptoms you're observing and uh, complaints from your from your patients, and then using that to come up not only with a diagnosis but a treatment plan. And um, as far as some of the soft skills that I think I will ultimately take with me into uh, becoming a physician is some of that professional development. I will say that when I came out of college, I felt like there were some aspects of uh, my professional skills, my soft skills, which might've been a little bit more rough around the edges. And having this time um, as an engineer and understanding what it's like to work and live in a professional environment has given me some time to um, mature in those, in those aspects is what I would say. How do you see your intuition now about, you know how to, you kind of have a rough idea now of how devices are designed and manufactured. How do you think your intuition of that will help you as a doctor? Like, how are you going to have a different lens than others that didn't take this path? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, So the main way that I believe that this experience will help me as a doctor is um, in one of my goals in medicine, which is to ultimately drive medical device innovation. Um, as someone who has loved engineering, I think I see that as just always being a part of what I want in my life and in my career. And having this experience as an engineer, I think it gives me a better ability to ultimately look for problems that I see within medicine because medicine is constantly developing and maybe approach other medical device companies with ideas of my own of how of of ways that these things can be improved and like you said in terms of the uh the usage of current medical devices i would say that it provides a great opportunity to look for improvement of those medical devices um so in my role i've learned that our company does communicate and utilizes the uh, physician feedback a lot when they're developing and updating their devices Mm -hmm. because they want to make sure that things are comfortable for physicians. They want to make sure that they're ultimately designed in the best way that physicians are performing that procedure. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity with this experience to come from that engineering related background and understand, okay, this is the design process. These are the certain limitations of manufacturing devices. This is the feedback as a physician now that I can give to any of my colleagues who are ultimately involved in device innovation and uh, development. Yeah, all in all, uh, you know, compared to somebody that didn't take this route, I think it's going to make you a much stronger patient advocate is what I'm hearing. Because you're not, you you know, you're looking for things, but you're also looking for practical things that would actually make real impacts and you know the right people to suggest them to. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for it. And ultimately, just to give context of why I ultimately chose medicine is because I realized that I really value that patient interaction and I wanted to ultimately utilize my skills, some of the empathetic skills that I feel I have. I'm I'm sorry if that sounds like it's- You do. No, don't apologize for that. That's accurate. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like I'm, I'm really good at relating with people and empathizing. And I think that it's not really utilized in that way within as an engineer. And ultimately, 
I think that uh, a career as a physician will allow me to have that direct impact um, that I can, you know, make a difference in that in that sort of regard for my patients is what I'm hoping. So med schools, please let Zane in. You would be lucky to have him. He has our recommendations for sure. He's got the BME grad podcast stamp of approval. <laughs> I, I would love to have your letter of recommendation. That'd be great. You've got a whole cool. audio file of recommendation. That's great. Yeah, Thanks I'm so much excited. for joining us, Zane. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Good luck with, with interviews and, and applications. It'll be, it'll be great. The BME Grad Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For more information on the BME Grad Podcast, visit bme.unc.edu. Right now, you can find that information under the News and Events tab. If you can, please subscribe or follow and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.